Welcome. You're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job, or maybe you've been unemployed for a while, or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Sabina. Just a real quick introduction to today's podcast. It is actually part one of a two-part podcast. It features today's episode, features my interview with my friend Massimo Bacchus, who is an expert in the art of self-compassion, I think this is something we all really need, especially this time of year. But don't forget, there'll be a part two that I'm going to drop later on in the week. The first part is Mosmo and I talking about the art of self-compassion. Why is it important? Why do we need it? How do we define it? But part two will be especially interesting because you get to sit in as Mosmo kind of schools me in the art of self-compassion with a mini workshop that I think you'll find interesting and illuminating. I'll admit, for me, it was more than a little uncomfortable, but I'm so glad I went through the exercise, and you will be too. So let's get to today's episode. Hey, everybody. It's Sabina. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Agile Unemployment Podcast. I know I say this every time, but I am extremely excited about today's episode and guests. Let me quickly introduce you to executive coach, leadership development expert, host of the Leadership Mind podcast, and now author, my friend and colleague, Massimo Bacchus. Massimo, welcome to the show. It's only taken me a year to get you here. Thank you and welcome. I'm so happy to be joining you today. How long have we been planning this? A, a year sounds about right, which just means we now have a year's more worth of things to talk about. This is true. You were, first of all, an enormous thank you because as I was announcing, I was doing the podcast, you were one of the first people to reach out and say, count me in, I'm in, I'm going to be a guest. And you and I both have very crazy schedules I'm just so happy that we are finally doing this. Me too. Okay. Let's get right to it because otherwise you and I will go down typical rabbit holes. I'm glad we waited to do this because I think there've been some things happening on your end that have 
change the podcast a little bit or what you and I would talk about. And I'm going to go ahead and get into it because you work in this very unique area. I think it's unique where we all have a focus and you have this very interesting topic of self-compassion. And I think over the past year, it's definitely formulated a lot more. But let's make sure everybody's on the same page with this, because I think compassion, we all have a slightly different definition of it. What do you mean when you say self-compassion? How do you define it? Let's start with compassion. And and, and what does that, that mean? Um, compassion at its core means to suffer with. Uh, and compassion and empathy oftentimes get used interchangeably, but they're different. To, to empathize is to be able to um, imagine the, the feeling that another person is having, having, because maybe you've had a similar experience, or maybe they're dealing with some struggle that you haven't experienced that emotion of loss or frustration or anger or disappointment, because we're human and we've experienced all these things. Empathy taps us into being able to understand the emotions of other people. Compassion takes it a step further to, because of the with piece. It's not just to understand the suffering, but it's to say, what action can I take to support this person, to help them in their moment of suffering? And self-compassion is doing that for ourselves. There are many beautiful things in life. There are many challenging things in life and work and our careers. Being unemployed is, is one of those that is really challenging. It's scary for a whole host of reasons. Having compassion for ourselves helps us to acknowledge that we are suffering. This is not a sign of weakness. It just means that we're human. It means that we're fragile because we're human. Uh, it means that we're vulnerable because we're human. Again, none of these are signs of weakness. And that because we experience those things, because we're human, we have the capacity, the opportunity to offer ourselves kindness in times when we need it. Instead of always looking to the external world for that validation or for that approval, or for that recognition of how we're feeling or what it is that we're experiencing, that we can be that friend for ourselves. And this can take on forms of comforting ourselves because that's what we need right now. We're feeling overwhelmed. We're feeling lost. We're feeling scared. And it can take on forms where we're really active. We say we need to push ourselves. We need to get up and try harder. We need to change our habits. Uh, we need to get outside of our comfort zone too. In the case of you know folks that are... Uh, unemployed and looking for work, there's a lot of rejection applying for things and not hearing back or going through interview cycles and not getting the role. It can be really daunting to think about networking and who do I reach out to and what do I say? Part of self-compassion, that action piece to address our suffering is to take action on things that we know we need to do, even if they are scary. I like that you, without my asking, differentiated between empathy and compassion because I do think people think they're the same thing and I like that nuance of adding action to it as well as support whereas empathy is just understanding the feeling how do you and maybe it's the same thing but where does forgiveness come in if it does at all is compassion the same as forgiveness or is it just the understanding of we're going to get into very philosophical right away i would say that forgiveness is a part of compassion 
-hmm. in forgiving another person. And forgiveness is definitely a part of self-compassion to be able to forgive ourselves for the things that are worthy of forgiving. For those that have been let go or fired from a job, there's guilt or shame that's associated with that. What did I do wrong? I'm a bad person. I could have done better. Why didn't I do X, Y, and Z differently? And all of those feelings, experiences, and stories that come from that, at some point will benefit from forgiveness. I did the best I could with what I had. If I knew what I know now, then I would have handled it differently. And what I fundamentally believe, and I know this sounds um, maybe disgustingly optimistic, but for those that are um, fortunate enough to get to the other side of a really difficult time in their life, we are always stronger for it. And sometimes it takes distance, but in that forgiveness, it allows us to accept what were the hard uh, lessons learned from that experience of being let go or leaving a job or putting yourself into a position of uncertainty. Like that gives us strength. If we all lived a life where everything went perfectly and went our way, we'd have a lot of problems in society. Imagine what sort of expectations would arise from all of us if things always went the way we wanted. It sounds good on the surface, but I think sometimes a little bit of adversity does us well. You brought up something interesting. I know you and I are both of this positive mindset of moving forward with lessons learned and so forth, but can I move forward without that self-compassion? So first, let me say that as I'm talking about this, I picture an Instagram clip where someone's standing on top of the mountain with their hands raised and like, you can conquer everything. Sometimes life is just really hard and it's comfortable and it's terrifying and you don't want to be in it. And I've been there several times in my life. Right. Like those lowest of low points where you never think that you're going to get out of it. So this is what I'm saying is not coming from somebody who hasn't lived it. And the work that I do, the book that I'm writing and the talks that I give are all messages that I need on a daily basis. Somebody asked me recently, who's your main target audience for your book? And I was like, first and foremost, it's me. I need this. I also believe very strongly that a lot of other people need it too, or a lot of other people would benefit from it too. But I include myself in that very much. And I spent um, 37 years of my life not knowing anything about what self-compassion meant. Didn't even know the concept, wasn't familiar with it at all. And was living and behaving in ways that I didn't want to, but I didn't know how to change. I didn't, I didn't understand what was getting in my way of being able to change the way that I was living in my life, leading as a leader, leading an organization. And when I first was exposed to self-compassion and first started to practice being kind to myself, it was very new. For those 37 years up to that, I was like, I'm not going to be kind to myself. That would make me weak. I'm not going to give myself a pass. I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard. I imagine what I'm saying sounds familiar to other people because I know I'm not alone in that. But when I actually started to practice that, what I realized is I now understand why I'm behaving the way that I'm behaving. The, the kindness that I offer myself allowed me to actually acknowledge it, meaning I became self-aware. I hear so often people say that they're self-aware, and I would caution 
Anyone who tells other people that they're self-aware, you're probably not being self-aware. Self-awareness is not, it's not a check the box. It's not a label. It is a moment to moment practice. And so the moment we think we are, we are likely not practicing it anymore. To be clear, the challenge I was facing is I was a very defensive person, both in my personal life and my professional life. People give me feedback, I get defensive. People would offer suggestions, I get defensive. And I got feedback that I was defensive. I heard it and I intellectually understood it, but I had no idea how to change it. I didn't really know when I was doing it and where I was. It was like I was having an outer body experience. Am I doing it right now? People seem to say that I am, but I don't feel like I am. I mean, I, Sabine, I was so defensive that when people told me that I was defensive, I said, I'm not being defensive. You are being defensive for telling me that I'm being defensive, which is, it is like a ridiculous thing to think. That is maybe the most defensive thing someone could say. But, but I, I think could, we've all been there. Maybe, or maybe it's being controlling or perfectionistic. We all have our, our peccadillos, the things that we need to work on. But self-compassion is what allowed me to finally recognize I am self-defensive and I understand why. Because I think I'm constantly under attack. Who am I under attack by? Myself, my inner critic, my inner judge. I'm defensive because I feel like I'm under attack all the time. But in reality, the outside world's not attacking me. It was all this fabrication, this figment that I had. And once I realized that, then it changed everything. Mm -hmm. Well, is that epiphany of yours? what led you to make this your career or did it build from there? To say that it was a significant turning point in my life would be an understatement, but I had a data set of one at that point. And I thought, well, this is really powerful for me, but I had no intention of trying to apply it to others. At that time, I was at a low point, just trying to figure out how do I fix my own problems. But I've spent the last 20 years working with executives and leaders and managers in very intimate settings, whether it be one-on-one -on -one coaching or team coaching or in year-long leadership development programs, intimate me meaning that I get to know these people very well, that I establish a level of trust with them, that they're open to really doing the difficult work, which is working on ourselves. As I started to reflect back on the thousands of leaders that I worked with and those that I've worked with since then, there was a common theme that came up time and time again. It didn't matter of someone's background, where they came from, what school they went to, what industry they were in, whether they were male or female, it didn't matter. The one common thing is there is a core fear that I am not enough. I need to be more perfect if I'm not enough. I need to be faster if I'm not going to be enough. I need to continue to get promoted because if not, I won't be enough. I need more money, whatever it is. But if you boil it down, the underlying fear for all these people was some version of I'm not enough and therefore I need to do these external things. And self-compassion is a practice that allows us to accept the fact that we are enough. It doesn't mean that we're a finished product. We're always a work in progress. It doesn't mean to say, accept yourself and, and never seek to improve or grow. But it's saying as a baseline, as a human being, you're enough. And if you can accept that as a truth, then you stop working on getting your deficiencies out of your way, this fear of not being enough, and you can start to do the real work. 
which is leading in a way that is more in alignment with your values and more meaningful to the people that you're working with. Um, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy are two developmental psychologists from Harvard, and they wrote a book called Deliberately Developmental Organizations. And in it, they talk about these two jobs that exist in every organization. There's the job we're hired to do, and then there's the second job, which is the job of hiding and protecting, hiding our limitations, our insecurities, our fears. And they say, and I would agree, that it's the single biggest waste of energy and resources in organizations today. And my belief is that self-compassion is the practice so that you don't have to do the second job as much, so that you can actually start doing the first job, which is about leading your people and leading your organization and being there for them and truly being a leader of service. Not as a buzzword or platitude, but the real act of, I have my needs met and now I can fully give the abundance that I have to give to my team. One of my interpretations of this, and tell me if I'm wrong, it seems to be switching from, oftentimes it's called the scarcity mindset where you focus too high on the negative or what's not there instead of developing what's needed or wanted. And that focus on the negative prevents those good things from being addressed, being developed, evolving. Am I getting warm with that? You are. And we have a negative bias as human beings. It is, it's in our biology to look for those things that aren't there. It's good to know, what are we working with? Okay, we're working with programming that's looking for what's not there. It's looking for the threats. We also have programming from our upbringing, which is, I want to keep you safe. For those of us that are blessed to have parents that loved us, the message was, I want to keep you safe. And parents show that in a variety of different ways, but the message is all about how can you protect yourself? And that's where perfectionism and our inner critics and our inner judge, people pleasing, all these tendencies stem from this programming. And there are a lot of books and thought leaders, Sabina, that are out there that talk about the difference between abundance and scarcity. And, and I, I think there's value in it, but I have a slightly different perspective on it. And the first is that our desire to be perfect or to be in control or any of these characteristics are not separate from us. We're not going to get rid of them, just like our ego is not separate from us. So when people talk about ego death, your ego is not going to die. You better get used to having a relationship with it because it's not going anywhere. And neither are these parts of your psychology. And I like to call those parts of our psychology, the, these, these critics and this judge and perfectionism, are intentioned, misinformed protectors. They're well-intentioned because their sole purpose is to keep us safe. They're misinformed because as fully functioning adults living in the world that we live in, we are oftentimes not in a place of real threat. They're trying to keep us safe without recognizing the skills, the abilities, the wisdom, the capacity that we have to manage ourselves through difficult times, which we all have. When you recognize that they're well-intentioned but misinformed, instead of trying to shut it up or shut it down, you can meet it with, and I know this sounds wooey, but I do mean this, instead of meeting it with fear, you meet it with love. In very simple terms, when that critic voice comes up for me, I might say to myself, I understand you're trying to protect me, but I don't need protection right now. I've got this under control. 
meet it with love. It wants to be seen because it's us and we all want to be seen. Very interesting. When I think on this, I think of, and I know me, like the idea of being safe sounds so good. The idea of being protected and safe, it sounds wonderful. But I can also say, you know, what everyone says, no one on their deathbed says, wow, I wish I'd been a little more safe. <laughs> Instead, and I don't mean to belittle it, but the opposite is true. This is where where people say, I wish I'd taken a little more risk. I vacillate towards that myself. I and I'm I'm thinking this is almost the conversation you and I had before I hit the record button too, about jumping out the door, being pushed out the door, which is better. And sometimes that lack of safety gets us things we wouldn't have gotten otherwise uh, that were always within us. And I look, I definitely feel like I am a byproduct of that. I loved my regular nine to five gig and I do something completely different now. I am scared a lot in my current guise because it's a very tenuous existence. I also understand I have a level of development and happiness that I did not know existed. And I balance those two things every day of my life right now. I'm wondering, is that that self-compassion, I don't want to belittle it because I think it's almost like the key to everything of it's almost that permission to start that evolution development risk because there is that acceptance of I'm going to be okay. I am okay the way I am. What do you think? I think that a dimension of safety is really important. I think what we can get wrong is that safety is a static state. Mm. We need to be safe enough before we can make a leap. And it fundamentally comes down to your ability to give yourself that safety, stability, security, comfort, so that you can then be courageous but to believe that you can do that for yourself. Yeah. I think about so many people that work in large organizations and over the last year, how many of them have been through series of layoffs and how many of them have spent maybe sleepless nights worrying about, am I in the next one? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if I'm in the next one, but I know people on my team are, and I might be if I'm coaching some of those people. But that is in our control and it comes down to trusting ourselves. There are many things that are outside of our control, but to offer ourselves the safety and comfort that we need, a lot of that we can give to ourselves. Not all of it, but we can certainly give ourselves some. And there are times when we really need all we can get. And if all we can get from ourselves, then that's what we need to do. When I left my last corporate gig, that was not by choice. And thankfully, I had a practice of self-compassion. So that when I went through what was a very stressful and a time full of regret and shame and all sorts of dark thoughts, I had a practice. I knew what I needed to do to make sure that I could land on firm firm footing and take care of myself, how much time I needed for that. I opened the doors of my business in less than a month. I don't know if without that set of skills that I have now, I imagine it could have taken me months to build myself back together, put myself back together, but I didn't need that because I 
I trusted myself. I had what I needed um, to move forward. And I wasn't living from a place of fear. I was actually looking at, okay, what is this? What's the opportunity here? Going back to your question of scarcity and abundance. I think about that differently than others because I think oftentimes when we think about scarcity and abundance, it's outside of us. What's scarce in the world? There's no jobs in the market. There's not enough money. If I do that, I won't make enough money. And if there's abundance, I feel comfortable because people are hiring right now. There's an abundance of this. And my reframe on it is that abundance is about what do we have an abundance of as individuals? What is that thing that you have an abundance of? And go out and give that. And if you're in between roles right now, what is it that you have abundance of and where can you go give it? And if you do that, doors will open, opportunities will come, and people will be grateful. For me, I have an abundance of my ability to, to coach and develop people. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd still be doing what I'm doing now. And that's not meant to be a trivial statement. I, I truly mean that. In fact, close friends of mine get irritated because I can't turn it off sometimes. And we have a code word. Or when I'm doing, they're like, I don't want to be coached right now. I can't stop doing this thing. This is what I have abundance of. And I feel really grateful that I get to give that in, in my profession and I get to have a, a successful life doing it. I like the take on abundance and scarcity because you and I both know people who can't find jobs when everybody else has them or is getting them. and people who have a job and still get job offers and it's not just jobs it's business it's really anything i go back to what you said about it existing in the individual when i look back at my own experience and when i had decided this was what i was going to do i look back and one thing that boggles my mind is that there was not one person who I talked to about writing a book and, and setting up business and everything. Not one person said to me, why do you want to do that? You're going to fail. You shouldn't do that. Except one person. And guess who that one person was? You. It was me. <laughs> and some mornings it's still me. And until you said that, I just had a little lightning bolt moment of, yeah, what happens when you are your worst detractor? Even though I, I was just telling someone, I feel like a lot of good things are happening through very little effort on my own. I've done a lot of work, don't get me wrong, but I think there are times, there are moments where I'm still my worst detractor. I am still the doubter. So let's use me as an example or someone out there who's listening I'm recognizing this and maybe this is holding me back a little bit on some levels. How do I start this practice of self-compassion? How do I get on this journey? How do I build that daily habit? And listener, here's where I'm going to leave you. Tune into the next podcast. You can listen to Massimo take me through a very brief exercise in how to tap into self-compassion. I'll admit it was a little difficult for me but incredibly empowering. I think you'll want to listen and take on this practice yourself. In the meantime, think about self-compassion. Are you being compassionate to yourself? If you feel yourself being defensive, disappointed, anxious, frustrated, 
you might need to tap into that reservoir of self-compassion. Listen to us next time to find out how to do it. And I'll leave you with that, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening. And there you have it for today. I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out-of-work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sulat. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at ssulat at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.